Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is Packing List for Oblivion by Cameron Bertrand. Cameron Bertrand currently lives in Erdenet, Mongolia, where she works as an English teacher. She has been a volunteer firefighter and a student of Slavic literature. But her most memorable work was as an almond milkman in her hometown, Tampa, Florida. Let's jump in. The statue was nothing like Inafe remembered. Before, it had been buried to its stomach, with both hands reaching forward to rest almost perfectly, palms up, on the hungry earth. Age had softened the statue's face, which crawled with orange lichen to a shroud. Its open mouth was turned up to the sky and overflowing with dust. Inafe had watched for a long time as the wind spilled grit from the corner of its lips like an hourglass. Now, suspended in holographic color in the center of the council chamber, it looked sanitized and frail. Inafe appraised it for the last time, knowing the outcome before the first votes flickered in. The piece was not particularly innovative. It was not of historic value. It was not vital. It was only beautiful. It would be left behind. Inafe fixed her eyes on the statue as she cast her vote against it. No counselor volunteered to speak on the piece, so the judgment was swift. The holograph blinked and was replaced by a new sculpture, but the previous image stayed on in Inafe's mind. The decisions were getting harder. At its start, the council had been a mess of overdrawn debates and personal attacks but Inafe would rather deal with the chaos of those early days than the current brutal pace of their decisions. It had taken several years, but time had run out for ego and guilt. Inafe was reminded every moment by the defeated silence of the council and the packing crates in her own home that the world was ending this year. The news had broken slowly, then all at once. Before the first dispatch shuddered their calm, Inafe's partner Moore had read the signs in the planet around her. For months, she had come home from the fields with her mouth twisted to one side, calloused fingers thrumming against her leg. She had tried to explain to Inafe about the sourness in the soil and the odd patterns of the rain. Inafe understood little beyond the alarm in her voice, but they both dared to hope that the change was peculiar to their region. It was not. The planet Kinlanli's terraformation was reversing. It had happened on a string of other planets. Now the societies of Kinlanli, so recently settled, were packing back up into the finite space of stations to await the terraformation of a new home planet. Moore had volunteered immediately to work in the countryside, spending long months collecting soil samples to assess the rate of decay and assisting frontier families in their preparations to leave. The crisis had unwrapped something in her. She swung into action as though she had been preparing for it her whole life. Inafe had done her duty as well, accepting the summons to serve on the Council for Cultural Preservation. She had also received requests for consent to send in her own collection for consideration. She left the requests to collect dust with everything else in her studio. Another sculpture was on display. Its superb craftsmanship was doomed by the choice of material. Marble was shipped in from off-planet, and the piece would be judged insufficiently Kinlanlian. Inafe hoped that it would be taken in by another planet or station. In the far future, perhaps it could find its way back to Kinlanli's people 
wherever they might be. It was one of the few thoughts that still offered consolation. The marble statue was the last of the day. When the session closed, Inafe brushed her way out of the chamber and through the honeycomb halls, exchanging a few nods and sympathetic words with her fellow counselors. Everyone's voice was low, their exchanges quick but sincere. They also had homes to pack. Inafe stepped outside to a sky bruised with evening and stretched her legs as she waded through the city's shallow outskirts into the countryside. The long path home took her past one of her own sculptures. She did not slow as she passed. She had carved it the same year that she met Moore. As they rattled through the countryside in the back of a transport vehicle, Inafe had felt something tipping over inside her the longer she spoke with this sprawling woman in muddied boots. Probably it was the apocalypse playing tricks on her, but all the memories from that time felt warm. Inafe missed the weightless quiet between them. She missed the long evenings in her studio they spent tinkering at her work table, Inafe with her designs and more with her tools or sketches. These days, the ice cracked beneath their every conversation. When Moore was not working in the countryside, she was brimming with hard choices. Inafe dodged conversations about the space station. She wanted to preserve at least the bubble of their home from the world outside as it ransacked itself. But Moore kept opening the door. In her head, Moore was already living on the station. Sometimes it seemed to Inafe that she was excited about it. Moore planned ceaselessly, scrambling to assure Inafe that they would have everything they needed. But it wasn't their future that weighed heaviest on Inafe, even as it seemed to consume more. It was their life on Kinlanli. It was the slide of sand under her boots and the way that sunrise tangled in Moore's hair. In her birth province, at midday, the desert's horizon disappeared with a shiver into the pale sky. How to forget that? How to remember? Her back was slick with sweat when she saw the welcoming round roof of their home. As she stepped inside, the peace earned from her evening walk was dissipated by the boxes crowding the floor. Moore was out for the week, but due back any day. She had left Inafe a list of requests to help with the packing process. Inafe did not need to look at it. Everything was done except one item. She needed to pack her studio. She quickly ate dinner and prepared a cup of tea. She kept herself moving, knowing that if she paused in her momentum, she would not do any packing tonight. Mechanically, she entered the studio and evaluated the single crate reserved for her belongings against the gentle mess of her studio. The floor and workbenches were cluttered with models, sketches, and photos. Only her tools stood in perfect order, hanging on the walls and from the ceiling. The darkness outside converted the studio's large windows to mirrors, and Inafe kept catching sight of her own movement as she worked. She tried to summon nostalgia as she packed, but her memories felt glossy and distant. Each tool slid into the crate, only left her feeling heavier. By the time she stopped for a break, her studio was decimated and her tea was cold. Inafe sat down heavily on the floor, her legs splayed in front of her and her back against the slab. Its porous rasp felt reassuring on the back of her arms. Years ago, she had brought the stone from her home province for a design she planned. The rock was unique to her home, stark white and ribboned with pale orange and crimson. As a kid, she used to find patterns in the traces of color, pulling shapes out of the cliff sides. She wondered bitterly 
what abstraction she would be able to find in the expressionless plaster they would use on station. She slid away from the stone and regarded it from her place on the floor. She had seen more statues in the last few years than in all her life. She imagined their shapes in the slab and marveled at what had been accomplished with a piece of rock, a set of tools, but it hadn't saved them, extinguished in a flash of holographic light. With time, their craftsmanship, her craftsmanship, would be weathered back to featureless slabs, like the one which stood before her. She felt powerless against that future, against her unreasoning anger at Moore's resilience, against her love for Kinlonley. She felt small beneath that slab that stretched above her. Hardening her gaze, she stared into the stone to calm her mind and began to slowly trace the fiery streaks in the rock from top to bottom. She remembered the design she had planned for the slab when she picked it up all those years ago. She could see now that it was all wrong. The arch of a spine was already in the slab's contour, thinly submerged. Veins of color netted together in the side. They would run over an open palm like sunlight. She could only catch the shape in pieces, barely coherent, but it was enough. The night hours were realigning. The studio's gravity bent her on the work. Moore's expression when she inspected her crops, when she lifted a long shoot with the tip of her thumb, was already in the stone. Inafe reached for it. She smoothed the memorized lips and rounded the jaw. She crinkled the eyes that would watch, unflinching, as their planet's atmosphere slumped to reclaim the horizon. She followed only that instinct which had first searched out shapes in the mountainsides. She followed it until the sunrise dripped dirty pink into her studio. When it was done, she would face it towards the window, pack her tools away, and leave this room forever. But for now, she closed her grainy eyes and pressed her forehead against the statue's unhewn base. Through her headphones, she could not hear Moore's clattering entrance. The world was quiet as arms encircled her, quiet as a kiss was buried on her neck. She would take it to the stars. That was Packing List for Oblivion by Cameron Bertrand. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.